Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's time to play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen. Human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Wilson going to the air. Chased out by Daquan Jones. Wilson looking in zone, wide open, touchdown! First NFL touchdown for Zach Wilson! And it goes to Corey Davis. Down the middle, he's got it. Elijah Moore, the 20, the 10, the 5, touchdown! Jones had just caught flat-footed. What an excellent, excellent round. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh! Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studio. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And the 2022 NFL Draft is in the books, so I'm glad I can welcome back one of my favorite guests to talk about what actually happened. He came on to preview the draft, talk about some of his favorite prospects, what goes on with the draft process, and now he's back. Former right-hand man to Jerry Reese who helped build not one, nope, not just one, but two Super Bowl champions with the New York Giants, Mr. Mark Ross of NFL Network. Mark, thanks so much for coming back on the show, sir. Yo, my pleasure. Always fun. Should also mention that you are the EVP of Football Ops for the XFL, and I did recently see on your Twitter a picture of you with The Rock, so I got to admit, I'm jealous. Uh, yeah, I've, I've gotten that a lot, that everybody <laughs> <laughs> were calling me with, man, a, a common word there, jealous. People kept saying jealous. Yeah, I've the guy I've been on plenty of Zoom calls with him, but that was the first time I actually met him in person and had to post a pic. And uh, just a good guy, good dude, very passionate about what we're doing, what he's doing, what we're doing with the XFL, and his heart is in it. People don't know he played at the University of Miami, mm-hmm. didn't play in the NFL, but played at the University of Miami back in the glory days. So he's a football guy, despite all the accolades and everything he's done with wrestling and acting, he's at heart a football guy. Former teammate and close friend of NFL Hall of Famer Warren Sapp. Yeah, he really talks about how Sapp, kind of uh, how close they were, and even Ray Lewis, how close he and Ray Lewis were. 
when they when they were there. So he was there with with all of those Hall of Famers, and he just just wasn't at that caliber as a player. But I think he would uh, all those guys would trade with him with the career he's had. Should serve him well running the XFL, his experience playing high-level football in college, and obviously having you on board is going to help quite a bit. I was wondering, though, Mark, at some point I thought maybe the Jets had you on board secretly. We joked about this last year because they took all your guys, and it seemed like they took a lot of the players you really liked this time around, too. I wanted to start with Sauce Gardner. You referred to him on the show as the best player in the draft. What made you feel that way? And if you had been sitting there at four, would there have been any hesitation from you to take him? Would you have even considered moving down? Would you even have considered maybe moving up with Houston being nervous that they were going to take him? What would you have done here? Yeah, that definitely was. The draft started there with Houston at three. You knew that Hutchinson and Walker were going to go one, two in some kind of way. And then the draft was going to start at three. Definitely would have been a surprise. I kind of got tipped off before the draft about the Stingley pick, but if it just would have happened in real time, I would have been shocked by that because we know it's been well documented the last couple of years haven't been up to par for him, especially with the injuries. And I just thought Sauce was the best corner, but also, as we talked about, the best player. Look, every player has strengths, every player has weaknesses, and you just go down the checklist of strengths and weaknesses. And really, with Sauce – It was mostly all strength, and you really couldn't find a true weakness or hole in his game. You know, the guy has size and length and athletic ability and competitiveness and production and off the field. Uh, He's smart, and it's just everything you kind of want in a player there. So at four, I definitely would have been happy, not hesitating. You always entertain offers. You always look at that. But if you have a chance to get a – perennial Pro Bowl caliber player, a guy that has the potential to be the best at his position in the league, then you go and take him. And especially since the Jets had so many other picks coming up and so many other options that they could address other needs, which they did, it it really was a perfect pick of the value and the need right there. There were some people that suggested the Jets shouldn't pick a cornerback at number four because the scheme doesn't call for elite cornerback play or it's much more important to have a pass rusher and you don't really need top-level corners, especially in Robert Sala's system. What did you think about those types of comments? Because I've been saying for a while that I think the Jets absolutely needed somebody like Sauce because no matter what system you run in 2022, it's a passing league. You've got to have a guy that can stay with top receivers for several seconds at a time, especially now that you have quarterbacks that are more and more mobile. What are your thoughts on the whole cornerback debate at number four? Yeah, well, when you value positions, I definitely quarterbacks number one, two, three, four, five quarterbacks one till 10 and then it's it's who can get the quarterback and that's the pass rusher so I would rate a pass rusher over a corner I'd even put a a playmaking receiver over a corner but a corner is definitely four for me maybe five but if you if you have someone like sauce who in my view was far and away the best at his position and you definitely need as you mentioned a corner there in that system all systems need a corner but also there was a more depth at, I think, playmaking uh, pass rushers than there was at corners. So that's why I think the Jets probably looked at it as, you know what, this guy is special right here, and we can come back at 10 and get another get a pass rusher because there was a, a nice group of those guys there 
or even as they did trade back in. You know, they probably had those talks as well where, okay, we have those two second round picks. We can do some damage there as well, which they ended up doing. So I think for the Jets, when they looked at it and they prepared, and that's what you do leading up to the draft, you, you prepare all the scenarios and you talk about your the people that you're going to draft and the value of them to say, all right, here's our game plan. If sauce is there, let's get sauce. And then here's the other guys that we've identified as our key players. And how do we go get those guys? And it seems as if the Jets executed that game plan perfectly. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Market number 10, the Jets didn't go with a pass rusher. They went with Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver out of Ohio State. And I texted you about this and said, the only thing that I would have done differently is I'd have taken Jamison Williams. And you said, I think Jamison Williams was a better player, but I think Garrett Wilson might be a better fit for the Jets. What did you mean by that? Yep. So when I just ranked them, I thought Jamison Williams had the potential to be a breakout star just because of his explosiveness. Whereas I think Garrett will be a really good player, uh, you know, an excellent player. The difference is, I think, in the new, in B, you have to have a certain type of mentality, a certain type of player, a person to handle New York and to handle the spotlight. And I think there's just more of a safety factor with Garrett Wilson, just as far as uh, his dependability and you know, the type of worker he is and his mentality. I was at Ohio State's Pro Day, and, I mean, they just rave about him top to bottom there, just the type of person he is and the type of worker he is. And it's not to say that Jameson is not, but just he's just on another level. Garrett is just as far as dependability and, and work and competitiveness. So I think he's just maybe and, – and, and, again, Jameson coming off the, the 
the ACL, he should be ready. But it's just more of that safety factor of, you know, if this guy just his overall character will be able to step right into this New York spotlight and thrive. So that's why I think it, it, it was a better pick for the Jets uh, as opposed to just a little bit more so where Jamison might have more explosiveness and uh, star potential on the field. But just as far as the fit on the field, I would, Garrett Wilson probably gets the nod. Mark, one reason I love talking to you about this stuff is because not only are you able to accurately assess these players from all your years of experience, but because you led war rooms, you know how it works behind the scenes in terms of maneuvering and trying to strategize the whole chess playing situation. And the Jets went with Garrett Wilson at number 10. It seemed to me like Joe Douglas anticipated that receiver run and realized that Garrett Wilson was the guy he wanted. And if he didn't take him there, there was no chance he was going to get him. But as you said, there might have been some pass rushers they liked. Or perhaps he even anticipated Jermaine Johnson dipping down a little and thought that he could come up and get him from that second-round pick that you talked about before. Tell me a little bit about the strategy here. What do you think of what Douglas did? And do you think he more or less just sat back there and read it right like a chess grandmaster, which is a big part of being successful in the draft? process you have to value your players right and then you have to value them for your team and how you really like your team and see the board on okay we don't take a receiver here where are we going to get one that we really like it's not just about oh here's a group of receivers it's you actually have to like those guys so even though in the media or something there may be 10 oh there's 10 receivers in the in the first round you may only like five of those and if you're looking at the board you're saying okay if we get down there in the second round we're not going to get one of these guys and you don't want to overvalue a player because of that. But if you have a top 10 grade on a receiver as they did with Garrett Wilson, okay, we have to take this guy right now because if we miss out on him going down the second go round, who's a player that we really think can impact our team and who's more than likely at another position we can get back in there and get. Um, so I think that's kind of how they looked at it where again, all right, well, let's prioritize this receiver because this is our dude that's going to help us. And again, pass rusher, there might be some other ones down in there who we really like, and there's a chance to get one of those. So I think Joe Douglas looked at it in that sort of way. Who did we value the most and the abundance of those sort of players? At what positions did we value the most that we feel we can get at the right time and the right place for us? Then they went and got Jermaine Johnson at number 26. They traded up. I got to be honest with you, Mark. I was stunned that he was still available there. I thought for sure that once the Jets didn't get him at 10, they weren't going to be able to get him, although it has come out now that once Houston traded back at 13, Joe Douglas and Robert Sala began planning to try and move back up to get Jermaine Johnson. They liked him that much. Joe Douglas said that even though this was the first time he's been able to do top 30 visits, that there was a certain magic in the room when they had Jermaine Johnson there. It was the best visit he's been a part of, and they felt like he was a player that could really, really help them in an enormous way at a position that they've been struggling with for a really long time. Before the draft happened, you came on the show and you said you thought that Jermaine Johnson might be the best pure pass rusher in this class. Talk a little bit more about why you think that's the case 
and Joe Douglas's ability to go up and be able to make this move because I didn't think he would slide this far. Neither did they. They tried to trade up well above 26, couldn't make it happen, and still were able to get Johnson anyway. And then even the value that they gave up, they flipped third round picks and gave up a fifth. Didn't seem like that much to go up from 35. Yeah, it really was shocking to me. He, Jermaine Johnson was a fifth-rated player on my board. I still do my draft board, and I rank players overall and by position. And he was the fifth guy on my board. And I just think the guy just – as I mentioned, I thought he was the best pure pass rusher. Hutchinson might have had some more sacks, but this guy has got moves and explosiveness and power and, and counters and effort, and, and I think he'll get a lot better as well. He was just productive when he played – and as you mentioned, just seeing him, if you just saw him on, on the interviews and you guys had him in, I mean, the guy just exudes star power. I mean, the wear of those suits that he wore and pulled those off and the way he presents himself, I just think the guy has star power. You know, they said a lot of people, he turned some people off. Well, I've been around a lot of coaches and they don't like guys that are confident uh, at, at certain places. So I think a little bit of that was unfair to him. But I just think the guy exudes star power and – on the field and you're right when I was on air I was on the NFL network doing it and I'm okay it was you know here he'll go here he'll go here and I was saying it for 15 picks like this guy's got to go and then when he finally went when the Jets moved up I thought it was the best pick of the first round by far the best value of the first round just to be able to jump up in there and get him and not as you mentioned not give up a lot I thought it was it was a master class on identifying talent and getting your guys and I just think the guy's going to be an amazing player. It'll be great. It'll be really good to see that the Giants taking Thibodeau at five and then see Hutchinson, uh, see Johnson at 26 to compare their careers playing in the same building. Mark, can you talk a little bit about the process with moving up to get Jermaine Johnson? And I want to talk a little bit about this with Brees Hall a little bit later, too. But it seemed like Douglas had his battle plan and then just kept trying and trying and trying and was able to get it done. How does that type of thing work? Because remember, you only have a limited amount of time to pull off these deals when these guys are on the clock. They only have 10 minutes to make the decision, get the card in. How does this type of thing work? Do you start calling up way ahead of time and trying to get these tentative deals done? Tell me how the sausage is made. Yeah, so again, you hear moving up to the, leading up the draft how teams say, oh, this team's looking to move up. This team's looking to move down. Every single team in the league does that. So it's nothing any, anything special that one team does or the other. We all And we all would joke, you call your counterpart over to another team, and you just laugh. I know you're looking to move up. I know you're looking to move down. It's just something, the game you have to play. You have to do it. But the real work gets done in your own building where you're looking at your board, you have it set, you know what picks you have, and you just talk through scenarios ad nauseum of, what do we do at four? Okay, now what do we do at 10? And then at four, if we're not happy, how do we, what do we move down? What do we have to give up? And you have your chart of picks and the, the value of these picks. And you just talk to each, each situation through each pick. Okay, at number 10, if XYZ players are here, who do we take? All right. And if they're not there, who do we take? Okay, we're not comfortable. What do we do? What are we willing to give up? Move down. Okay. And then you go through your next. All right, now we're done with four and 10. If someone's there falling in the first round, we've got these picks. We got, you know, the two picks in the second. What are we willing to give up to get into the first round? How much are we willing to give up? Where do we go? Which players, if they fall, are we comfortable with? Which players, if they fall, do we really want to go target? So you just talk through all those scenarios over and over to see who you who you really love, who you who you'll take. 
if guys start falling, who you want to identify to go get. So you just go through all those scenarios with your with your mainly it's really your your key key decision makers that are doing this, your your head coach, your GN, your scouting director, your ownership. You're just going through all those scenarios. So when the Jets, when this happened on the Jets, it's not like they're sitting around like, oh man, Jermaine Johnson's falling. What do we do? Let's just they talk, they talked through that. They knew exactly what they were comfortable with. They knew exactly what they want to give up. So that really was just a going through their process and executing it, not a they're surprised by what's happening. I'm sure they were surprised it was Jermaine Johnson, but they had already talked through, okay, if there were certain players that did get down there, who would we want to go get? So it was really just executing the game plan. Do you think it's possible that they felt that Jermaine Johnson might fall a little bit more than Garrett Wilson again with that receiver run coming? Maybe they anticipated that. And as you said, they ran through that as a possible scenario. Okay, we don't think there's any way that Garrett Wilson would drop, but maybe Jermaine Johnson drops. And if he does, we'll be ready to pounce. Yeah, I think it was, as, as I said earlier, may not have thought specifically Jermaine Johnson, but they were just more comfortable with, okay, let's take a receiver at mm-hmm. 10 because we we really want this guy and we have him valued that much higher over a bunch of receivers as opposed to there might have been a group of pass rushers, edge rushers that they liked, they felt comfortable with, maybe even into the second round to to take. So I think it was more so reading the the room and reading the value of who they really liked and going from there. Speaking of value and reading the room and figuring out what to do, I thought Joe Douglas did that masterfully again in the second round, jumping the Texans to go get Brees Hall, the top-rated running back on their board. We now know, because Joe Douglas told your colleague over at NFL Network, Rich Eisen, that the Jets had Brees Hall as the number 18 player on their board. So to be able to get him at number 36 and only have to give up a fifth-round pick to do it seems like fantastic value, at least from their perspective. I love this because, as I've been saying for a while, I think that one of the best ways to help Zach Wilson was to get him one of those real feature backs that can touch the ball 20 times a game. Mark, you remember what happened in Seattle when Russell Wilson was first coming along. Russell Wilson only had to throw the ball about 25 times a game because Marshawn Lynch was there, and they kept feeding Marshawn Lynch and feeding Marshawn Lynch, and that way Russell Wilson didn't have all of that pressure on his shoulders. He could manage the game. He could develop and turn into a really good quarterback. And eventually, of course, he turned into one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Not saying that's going to happen with Zach Wilson necessarily, but I love the idea of utilizing that formula. They have Michael Carter, who's really more of a 10 to 12 touch a game kind of guy. Smaller player, got hurt a couple times last year. If you feed him the ball that many times, he's going to wear out, especially with the physical style that he employs, bouncing off guys with tackles. But to get a guy like Brees Hall here, who is so highly rated on their board, and to be able to plug him in that way and help Zach Wilson's development, I thought it was genius. And I loved the idea of only having to give up a fifth-round pick to do it. I know they tried to trade into the first round to get Brees Hall because they were afraid he wouldn't last to the second, and also because they wanted that fifth-year option, which plays into this. But still, either way, to be able to ultimately come away with him without having to pay a hefty price seems like, again, being a grandmaster playing the chessboard. Yeah, he did. And and that's always, as you mentioned, not giving up a lot. And that's really the key that, yes, you can like guys, you can target them and trade for them. But if you give up the, the farm for a guy, then you're hurting your team. But the Jets were very strategic in not giving up a lot. And yeah, going into it, Houston was really Houston and and Brees Hall were linked 
a lot of people, you know, inside there that knew that they really liked them. So, and I'm sure the Jets, again, knowing the board, knowing the value, knowing other teams are interested in, they had probably some knowledge that Houston liked them. So they jumped over them and got them. And, you know, I don't believe in the, the theory of running back as the savior, but if he's a piece of your offense mm-hmm. and you've got other playmakers, 100%, that will help your team, especially in a rotation there, as you mentioned. So I think, yes, it was a, a wonderful pick for to take a back there. And it's, 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 if you had no other offensive playmakers or linemen, you're like, why are you taking a back? But mm-hmm. since the Jets, I think are pretty good on the O-line. They got a bunch of receivers now. They've, they've helped the tight end room. They got their quarterback. Yes, that was a wonderful pick to get Brees Hall, who many considered the best back in the draft, and you know brings that playmaking element that you know one run can just break a game open. You just get the guy a crease, and he can break a game open, and that's definitely going to help the Jets' offense, and definitely going to help Zach Wilson, where they're not one dimensional. Like, okay, we've got a bunch of guys that can make plays for us. Mark, how important is it for a general manager and the people around him to have a good poker face when it comes to this stuff? Because as you just said, everybody sort of knew that Nick Casario wanted Brees Hall in that spot. And ultimately, it probably cost him the opportunity to draft Brees Hall. How does that work? How do those things get leaked out to the other teams? And how difficult is it for a GM to keep a lid on things? We saw that mostly with Joe Douglas because nobody had any idea that he really liked Brees Hall this much. As one example, they had him number 18 on the board, like I said before. Talk to me a little bit about how all that works. Yeah, well, that's where you have to have really be tight in your organization and have had people not talk and it's okay to inside your building to have energy and excitement for certain players. But once that starts leaking out to the media and other teams and it's substantiated and it's true, then that's when you're, you have trouble. You you know, a couple of years of the giants, we had, unfortunately we had people talking uh, all the time in the media and guys, the one year draft where we got, you know, teams jumped over us for Jack Conklin and, and Leonard Floyd, it was just all over the place. And, we just had too many internal leaks getting out that other players we liked. And that's, that's what hurts you. So with the jets, obviously they, it was all about the team and they kept it tight and really didn't let their intentions known. I think they may have been linked to certain players, but it wasn't that certainty of exactly what they're doing. It kind of stealth with all their moves really at 10 trading back up to get Jermaine and then even trading over Houston to get Brees. I think they were really stealth with all that and, not the other teams kind of got taken taken off guard by that. So that's what you really want in an organization. That's what you want with your team to say, hey, guys, keep this in the room. Keep this in the building. Don't let this out. Uh, don't be talking to your friends. Don't be talking to your counterparts. Don't be talking to the media. And I think the Jets really encompassed that. Mark, the Jets had a pick in the third round and two picks in the fourth. As we said, they traded down from their original third round pick at 69 down to 101. Grabbed Jeremy Ruckert, the tight end out of Ohio State. So he stays with his buddy Garrett Wilson. They come to the Jets together. Lifelong Jets fan from Lindenhurst, Long Island. So that's a fun story. And then you get Max Mitchell, the offensive lineman from Louisiana, who the Jets were familiar with from the Senior Bowl. And Michael Clemens, who's an older prospect, had some off-the-field issues, but very talented. When you watch his tape, there's a lot to like there. Talk to me a little bit about what you thought of those last three picks there. Well, I think Jeremy Rucker was is an excellent pick there. I I, I really like Jeremy Rucker, and he got uh, he was my number he was my number two tight end. So he was someone. That, a lot of times, you can make excuses for players who who aren't 
as productive as they they should be. But this guy's there really is an excuse for his production. The guy was playing with four first round wide receivers at Ohio State, so it, it's not as if he was playing with some subpar players. And they're like, let's not throw Jeremy Rucker the ball. Literally, Ohio State, you saw two of them get taken this year. Uh, one of them with Alabama, too, so really three. And now they got a couple more coming down the, the pipe next year as far as first-round picks. So this is a guy that still has a lot of untapped potential because he's a really good blocker, but also he's a really good athlete. This guy can run routes and catch the ball, and he made a bunch of big plays at Ohio State just playing his role. So he knows how to play his role and make plays within his role, and he'll have to do the same with the Jets, with, as you mentioned, the Brees Halls and Garrett Wilson, Elijah, my man, Elijah Moore, and Corey Davis. So they'll probably get a bulk of the work, and, but Jeremy Ruck and C.J. Ozama now there as well. So uh, nice little ro- tight end rotation. And that that's you need those guys. You need those dirty work guys that are going to get on there and know their roles but make plays when called upon. So I- I'm excited for that pick uh, for the Jets for what he can do uh, and, and to boot, you know, to be a, to be a local guy. And it always helps. And, you know, with Max Mitchell and Michael Clemens, you're really just hoping to hit on some developmental players there. Uh, O-line, you always want to address the O-line and get guys in there that you can develop and grow. And that's what Mitchell needs, a little bit of, little bit of development just as far as his body and strength, but has played a lot of football. And as you mentioned, Clemens, a little bit of risk reward, got some, some injury history, a little bit older, but, uh, you know, just a guy that you're just trying to – you're just trying to hit on traits at that point. You know, the guy's got size. He, he ran fast in the 40. And, uh, but but uh, the Jets, obviously, this is when your scouting staff really has to dig deep, really has to have nice connections and know the inside scoop on these players. And you bring them in and you talk to them. You make sure you're comfortable with them and – okay, whatever issues they had that we feel comfortable with the person, the player, what has been said about that person that we can bring him into our building and they'll, they'll, they won't be a distraction. They won't be a problem. Mark, we saw the video of the area scout, Chris Nolan for the New York Jets, who made the call to Max Mitchell. He was the one that scouted Max Mitchell at Louisiana. He was the one that recommended that the Jets draft him, and ultimately they did, so they let him make the phone call, and I thought it was a really cool moment. Can you talk a little bit about how that whole process works, how much you lean on the different area scouts and guys like that? Yeah, so your area scouts are really, once you get out of the third round, it's the higher the pick, the more kind of eyes you have on the players. But then the, the later the draft goes, that's really where your area scouts know the players inside out and have been in the schools year after year and know them. And I, I try not to give our coaches too many guys to get bogged down in. And uh, obviously your your GM and your head coach is not going to watch a whole length, uh, lengthy list of guys like your area scouts are. So once you start getting to that third and fourth round, down in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, and your college free agents, and that's where your area scouts are really kind of making the picks. And you've talked about these players through all your draft meetings, and they know them the best. So I didn't see the video, but I've been a part of plenty, plenty of picks where you fight for your guys. The area scouts kind of fight for your guys, and I'd always go around the room before the draft. Okay, who's your favorite player? Who's your favorite player in the draft? Not the best, but who's your favorite? Kind of as I talked about Elijah Mitchell last year with you. So who's your favorite and you always try to identify and get those guys because there's something about those players that your your area scouts really love and they target and say hey this guy can really help us but you have to get those players in the right position put the right value on them so 
yeah, that they are the lifeblood of the draft and the good players that you really hit on down in there is because of the work that they do throughout the year. You mentioned before that you still stack your board like you did when you were helping to run the Giants and lead them to those two Super Bowls. And I was curious if you would be willing to share some of your rankings. You mentioned before that Jermaine Johnson was number five on your board. Where did you have some of these other guys overall on your big board in terms of positional rankings as well? And then overall, how would you grade this draft for the Jets? Oh, I mean, there. I mean, I had Garrett Wilson was my third receiver. So, I mean, it's, it's you know... <laughs> Uh, they, it's, they crushed it. I mean, I, I've been talking about them all weekend on NFL Network, and I, I felt like I, I, I don't want to keep talking about them because it seems obvious. But, you know, after the first two picks, they crushed it. But then once they got back in there, that trade, again, that just put it way over the top for me when they traded back in to get Jermaine Johnson. I mean, that just completely blew it out of the water for me of what they were doing. And then, all right, they're done. Oh wow! No, we go get Brees Hall, you know, at, at, at day two, and and then Ruckert. So, just I, I'm just amazing with the value they got and the type of players they they got at key positions and just maneuvering the board to okay, okay let's sit at, sit in a couple places and take players, and let's let's move up and get guys we identified and like. So it really was a master class in how to run a draft and identify great players and. Obviously, they go They have to play. They have to go out there and do it and show it. But just as far as on paper and how I had them to to get, you know, as I mentioned, my my number two pass rusher, number two tight end, my number three receiver, it, it's number one running back. It, they really crushed it. Always nice to hear Mark Ross praising the Jets draft. He did it last year, and so far the results look pretty good. Of course, Zach Wilson is the big domino. If he starts to really fall into place this year, then the 2021 draft is really going to look good. And if the 2022 draft is anywhere near as good as many of us think it will be, then we could be looking back at these last two drafts as the turning point of the Jets franchise and finally starting to see the Jets become that team that we've all been waiting for them to become for a really long time. Mark Ross, former right-hand man to Jerry Reese in the Giants front office who helped build not one, nope, not just one, two Super Bowl champions with the New York Giants. He is now, of course, an analyst at NFL Network. You saw him during the NFL draft helping with their coverage on NFL Network, and he is the EVP of Football Ops for the XFL and his boss, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, because finally the XFL is going to be coming back to our televisions in 2023. Mark, thanks so much for coming on. It is an honor to have you on every single time you come on. Really appreciate it. For those that want to check out everything you're doing, follow you on social media. How can they do that? Uh, just uh, at Mark Ross, uh, Mark with the C, that's on uh, Twitter, and then uh, uh, Mark A. Ross 2, Mark A. Ross 2 on Instagram. I don't do, I'm don't. i not on the gram too much, but uh, Twitter at Mark Ross. But thanks for having me, man. Always, always fun to be on here. Absolutely. Hope we can do it again soon. In the meantime, check out everything Mark is working on and follow him on social media right now at Mark Ross on Twitter. And check out everything we're doing at playlikeajet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. The Thunder from Down Under, Luke Grant, has got some fantastic All-22 reviews up, including one of Max Mitchell, the new offensive lineman the Jets got in the fourth round out of Louisiana. It's the only All-22 review of Max Mitchell that I'm aware of, so check it out and subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. Visit our store, tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. 
We've got the John Franklin Myers Quinn and Williams Bless You Thank You shirt, the Zach Says Go Long shirt, the Zach the Ripper shirt, the Play Like a Jet logo shirt, caps, mugs, hoodies. It's all there. Tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. And be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time. Doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.